so then I started shadowing a periodontist and I really, really fell in love with the surgical aspect and how clean it was. It was very organized, controlled. It made sense. There was rationale, there was literature. So I just fell in love with perio. So, um, yeah, I decided to jump in and go for it. And then now here I am in sunny San Diego. Welcome to the Newbie Dentist Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Omid Azami. I am excited to be bringing you a new series called Newbie and Friends. And this is episode one of the Newbie and Friends series, where I hope to catch up with past guests and friends of mine to reintegrate into general dentistry. I've been away from general dentistry for about a year and a half now, working full-time in a hospital setting in the oral surgery department, where I've been lucky enough to get a lot of exposure to oral surgery, taking teeth out, surgical extractions, and managing medically compromised patients, uh, which has been a great sort of career-altering or career-shifting experience. But on the downside is I've been away from general dentistry for a while now, and I feel like I've sort of lost a lot of my skill and knowledge. So what I'm hoping to do over these next few episodes is to catch up with a broad spectrum of different clinicians to try and pick their brains to try and reintegrate back into general dentistry. So to do so, I thought I would start with the foundation, which is perio. And I believe this is my first periodontist that I've had on the Newbie Dentist podcast. So I was really excited to chat with Dr. Yvette Carrillo, at Perio Princess on Instagram. Dr. Yvette Carrillo is a periodontist out of San Diego, California, and she graduated from Loma Linda Dental School back in 2015 and is one of those gunners who managed to get into Perio straight away, finishing up her Perio training back in 2018. She is currently practicing in San Diego in private practice and also does part-time clinical floor teaching at the grad Perio faculty at Loma Linda. In this episode, we do sort of a Perio 101, looking at diagnosis, clinical exam of patients, and have a chat about surgical and non-surgical management of Perio, as well as some basic introductions into grafting and managing of recession and exposed root surfaces, some of the common Perio things that dentists would see on a day-to-day basis. I hope you guys really enjoy this episode and take away from it as much as I did as I think it is always a nice refresher to speak to specialists, especially young specialists who are up to date with the latest and greatest and to be able to get their insight into what their specialty entails. This week's episode of the Newbie and Friends series is brought to you by my good friends at Mordent. Mordent is your proudly Australian owned and operated partner driving the charge forward in integrated digital dentistry. Being the only fully integrated local dental company, Mordent offers world-class education, equipment, products, solution, and support. The Mordent team of over 50 local solution specialists are helping thousands of Australian practices to seize the opportunity in digital dentistry, transforming treatment for dentists and their patients alike. Whether you're seeking to upskill through education, are considering implementation of digital workflows in your practice, or just looking for some advice, I highly recommend reaching out to the Mordent team. Visit www.mordent.com.au, that's M-O-R-E-D-E-N-T.com.au to find out more. As always, if you're new to the Newbie Dentist podcast, thank you for checking us out. Be sure to head back and check out the previous episodes that I've done on the podcast. I've had the privilege of having some amazing guests on the podcast over the past couple of years. 
If you're returning, thank you for your ongoing support of the Newbie Dentist Podcast. I hope this mini implant audio residency is full of value for you. And if you are getting value, please head over to iTunes and give the show a five-star rating. These ratings help the show get more traction within the dental community. Without further delay, enjoy this week's episode. So I'm joined today by Dr. Yvette Carrillo, who is a periodontist out of San Diego, California. I think, uh, and I haven't gone through to double check, but I think you're the first periodontist to come on the podcast. So I'm very excited to talk to you and to go through, you know, overview of perio, a bit of a perio one-on-one sort of episode, uh, a bit of background and context on this sort of new series that I'm doing, the Nubian Friends. I've been away from, uh, you know, general dentistry for a little bit, and I just feel like I've forgotten everything. So over the next few episodes, I'm hoping to talk to a lot of experts, um, you know, some restorative dentistry, some perio, some endo. So I'm really sort of excited to get to pick your brain and pick your expertise a little bit over this uh, next sort of hour and try and learn as much as I can personally on a selfish level, and then hopefully pass that on to the the listeners as well. Uh, So if you don't mind, normally how I start these off is a bit of an origin story. So just tell us a little bit about yourself, sort of why you got into perio, and then we'll kind of take it from there. Okay. Well, thank you for having me. First of all, I really appreciate it. I'm excited, uh, a little bit nervous to be the first periodontist on here, but definitely excited. Um, So a little bit about my backstory. I grew up in rural New Mexico. It's uh, like geographically close to Texas, close to the Mexico border, south of the U.S., Um, My parents were both born in Mexico and then they immigrated to the U.S. um, and then went to college. I kind of always knew I was going to be a dentist. I just didn't think I was going to stay longer and specialize. Uh, Here in the States, we do four years of our bachelor's, most people, um, and then four years of dental school. And then Perio was another three years. So I it seems daunting. I didn't think I was going to specialize. I didn't know there were specialists. Uh, my dad's a general dentist, but he's like what we call a quote unquote super GP. So I just assumed everybody practiced how he practices and everybody does implants and everybody does ortho and everybody does all these like full mouth rehab cases, which is not really the case. Yeah. So I didn't think I was going to, you know, keep going. But as I started learning and I started learning about perio and the systemic links, it just made sense. It was really easy. And so then I started shadowing a periodontist and I really, really fell in love with the surgical aspect and how clean it was. It was very organized, controlled. It made sense. There was rationale, there was literature. So I just fell in love with perio. So um, yeah, I decided to jump in and go for it. And then now here I am in sunny San Diego. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about the process. Cause I know sort of in Canada and uh, the U S a lot of people seem to go straight from dental school into specializing without having had to work for a little bit. Um, whereas here in Australia, it's sort of uh, it's not like a written rule, I don't think, but it's more sort of understood that you're going to have to work for a couple of years as a general dentist first to get some clinical experience before you can go into any sort of specialty. So what was that process like for you? And do you think, you know, there would be some benefit of having worked a little bit just to see what you like and don't like and, and before you commit, or are you happy they can kind of get through it as fast as possible and start working? Yeah. In the moment, I just wanted to go through it as fast as possible and get it done and start working because I saw my friends were working and, you know, moving on with their lives. And I was like still here in school, (laughs) but now on the other side, so I'm faculty too at Loma Linda. So I did my dental school there. I did my perio there. And then I'm an adjunct faculty there. 
So it's interesting to see the other side, the students that go straight through like I did. Um, I actually wanted to do like an AGD or general residency first and then do Perio. I was late in the application cycle. I was still kind of like self-doubting myself and I thought I'm not going to get in. There's all these smart people. I'm not one of those people. And so I thought I'll strengthen my application. If I do a general residency, I can learn more restorative. So I was going to do that in Northern California and then someone dropped out. And so that's why I went straight through because I got that spot, yeah. that empty spot essentially, which was Worked amazing. Well. Yeah. yeah, for me. <laughs> I actually bumped into that person too at the airport one time, <laughs> which was really, really cool in the That's Phoenix awesome. airport. Yeah. yeah. So um, I thanked her. But um, so now as a faculty and being with the students and the ones that went straight through from dental school to residency versus it kind of half and half. The other students, they were either dentists in, you know, foreign countries and then did the international program and then uh, they're back in perio or somewhere out in private practice for years and went straight through there's a difference in the way they treatment plan the way they speak to patients their chair side manner their surgical skills so it's this huge gap which for me now as a faculty is really tough so i do think there's a benefit I know it feels like I was that person. You feel like you're in a rush. You feel like, you know, I want to pay off my loans. I want to do this, but there's a benefit to doing a little bit of private practice at least. Yeah. It doesn't hurt. I think, I think there's no sort of right or wrong. I guess everyone has their own path and journey and they kind of get through it. And so tell me a little bit about sort of your current practice. Uh, You know, I know you you do some teaching and uh, you're working sort of uh, in, in San Diego as well. What's your sort of normal clinical week? Like what kind of procedures and stuff are you doing mostly or what do you enjoy doing the most? Well, I love soft tissue. Um, of course, implants, you know, bread and butter for perio, uh, osteosurgery, that kind of stuff. But I love gum grafts, soft tissue, anything soft tissue. And right now I'm doing in-house perio. So I go to the office and then the general dentist send all the referrals to me. And then I do the surgeries there. So it's really a good workflow because the patients get to stay there. They get to stay in their office. They get to see all the familiar faces. And for me, a little bit less stress because I don't have to deal with the administration, the staff, you know, all the, all the other stuff, the overhead, all the scary stuff. Um, And then I'm in the practice of starting a practice, which is like a whole other scary thing. Um, But I kind of like to mix it up. I think I'll always do a similar model to what I'm doing now where I'm doing my own like perio private practice, plus a little bit of in-house and then a little bit of academia. So my weeks kind of split up like that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I love that too. I mean, that's how sort of I've got to set up as well. A little bit of teaching, a little bit of private work, even a little bit of, we have like a decent uh, public sector here. So a little bit of public work as well, just to kind of mix everything up. It's very Very sort of uh, millennial to have sort of multiple income streams and not be like all in one place, which is is a cool thing, right? It's nice flexibility to have. um, We love it. And that's that's good. My banker makes fun of me. He's like, I can't get you to sit still. (laughs) Can you like hold the attention long enough, but kind of similar thing for a while. I was traveling back to my dad's office and seeing his patients going between his offices. And then I do a little bit of like public health or public service in New Mexico. There's a homeless shelter. And so we started a whole program with the hygiene school there. So I teach the hygiene school, Mm -hmm. the perio class, kind of the basics 101. And then we screen and see a bunch of kids that are in a homeless shelter. Mm -hmm. So that's like my passion project, but I, I think it's good. you need a little bit of everything to keep you, you know, 
Yeah. Keep yeah. No, that's awesome. That's awesome to give back and have that uh, initiative to do that. So uh, how I wanted to sort of uh, stage this is sort of just to do like a sort of like a walkthrough, um, like a patient coming in, um, a review of sort of what you do for your assessing of perio, and then we'll go on to talk about the diagnosis and treatment from there based on how the the assessment goes and what the diagnosis is for the patient. Um, it's funny because, you know, I graduated in 2016, so it's been, you know, maybe like about five years now, and it seems like things have changed because I was demonstrating for the final year dental students at the dental school here in Melbourne, and um, they're talking to me about like grading and staging of period. I was like, what, 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 like none of this stuff is, is very, it's all this stuff is very new to me. So I thought it, this is like a great opportunity to get to ask you and sort of um, get caught up to speed. And hopefully other people in my boat who haven't maybe kept up with literature and things like that since graduating can, uh, you know, get up to date with this stuff as well. So let's talk about assessment of perio. Sort of talk me through sort of what you do, what your workflow is, what tools and things you use, and then we'll go from there. Okay, so kind of my my private practice workflow, I guess, which is um, not very different, but a little different than the academia setting. But in private practice, um, always starting with the radiographs, I usually have an FMX because mm -hmm. even let's say in the general dentist office, we always have an FMX, a pano, there's a CBCT available. So if we need that, I have that. If it's in a perio office and it's sent for say the lower right quadrant, then the general dentist usually sends that x-ray, mm -hmm. but I tend to request the entire set because I want to mm -hmm. know, you know what's going on. And I'm not, um, I, I don't like saying it because then I had my staff repeat it back to the general dentist one time, but I'm not a one tooth kind of doctor. Even yeah. if you send it for this, I'm going to look at everything and give you my whole assessment for the yeah. patient. So start with the x-rays. I'm looking at the bone level. If we have past x-rays, that's always helpful. Um, before I even see the patient. So I kind of glance at the day and look at the x-rays ahead of time, look at the consults ahead of time. And then when I sit with the patient, I start with the health history and I tell them like, we're gonna sit down, I'll review your health history, review all your medications, ask you some questions about your family, we'll go through it together and then I'll see how I can help. And then they say, okay. And then that's where we start. So going through, because a lot of times, even with the health history, they'll say, oh, no, I'm not taking any medication. <laughs> that they mark something and you're like, wait a minute, you know? I love that. So, yeah. Every time, every yeah. day. And the girls are sitting behind with the clipboard and they're going through it, too, and kind of making notes on the side, too. Because, yeah. And then I think it's good for the patient, too, because it takes a little bit of the guilt and the responsibility away from them because it's an intimate place to look in your mouth. Um you know, I don't feel, I don't want them to feel like they're being judged. I want them to feel like I'm there to help them. Mm -hmm. And if I explain some of the medications you're taking can affect your gums, your periodontium, um, if you have a family history. So then I start to ask, did mom or dad have dentures? Oh yeah. You know, doc, they had bad teeth. So I just, I like to get to know them and that's the first step for me. And it's part of the first step. Yeah. And so in terms of the so you've gone through the history and which is actually, I think overlooked, maybe I think a lot of general dentists maybe just kind of brush over that quickly and, Oh, do you smoke? Do you have diabetes? Nope. Nope. Okay, good. And then they'll kind of get on with it. Uh, what are some sort of uh, medication classes that you think are sort of really relevant that we should be looking out for? Okay. So the big things that I want to know, and a lot of my perio patients and just the population in my area 
Um, if they've had chemotherapy or radiation, I want to yeah. know if they have a lot of medications that they're taking. I want to know because mm -hmm. then that's going to lead to dry mouth caries, you know, issues with their gingiva too. Um, if they have diabetes, I want to know their last A1C, mm -hmm. um, because I want to know if they're controlled, they're not controlled. Are they taking any type of medication? Um, what else? different seizure medications. Basically, I want to know everything. Supplements, if they're taking any supplements, because some of those will have an impact on bleeding. Um, yeah, everything. Okay, so I want pretty, to know everything. Pretty, pretty <laughs> enough. Okay, okay. Uh, let's do the clinical assessment then. So you've gone through the, the medical history and all that. Um, so I know in, in private, and I'm sure it's the same in, in the U S with a lot of the corporate chains and stuff, obviously time pressure is a thing. So uh, a lot of general dentists might resort to sort of the more abbreviated, uh, you know, you, you probe the sixes and the centrals type thing, or a PSR, or a, uh, CPITN type thing. What, you know, what do you think of those, uh, more abbreviated versions versus like a full mouth probing, um, or just like, give me your thoughts on sort of the, uh, assessment of perio with the probe. So the interesting thing is, I think it's taught, obviously we teach it in the States, but I've never seen anybody implement it here in the States. I think it's more of a overseas thing. Okay. Um, obviously looking at the molars, the incisors, and that's supposed yeah. to give like a general idea of the patient's mouth, but I've never seen anybody do it in private practice. Okay. So it's taught, but I haven't seen anybody do it. They're either yeah. probing full mouth or they're not probing at all. Yeah. <laughs> and I've even had like a prostodontist. That's a really good referral. Say, I don't probe. I'll just send it to you. I don't even think we have a probe in the office. Mm -hmm. So, you know, yeah, that's interesting. Cause I, you know, I, we were talking about this a little bit in the pre-chat, um, the differences between sort of like maybe Australia, um, and other parts of the world versus North America, where there's like such a heavy hygiene model, um, or maybe the hygiene, the hygienist will do most of the probing and things and the, de the dentist might just come in and assess it and, and make their comments and thoughts on it. But here, cause the dentist is doing it themselves. Like they'll, you know, oftentimes be allocated like 30 minutes for like a checkup and a clean, um, and a dentist does that. So I think that's yeah. why we've sort of resorted to these like screening tools. So you do like the, you know, uh, abbreviated version. If there's no red flags of like, you know, a six mil pocket or something, then you kind of accept that that will be sort of overall a good sort of indicator that you can kind of move on with a regular clean versus a, a something a bit more thorough or deeper. Uh, okay. So, so in terms of the probing, then how often, or how do you do it? What's your protocol of like, how often you do it? Um, how do you track that? Okay. So I kind of do a, the hygienist usually probes ahead of time or the yeah. general dentist. And if they are kind enough to send me the chart, then at least I have a guide. Mm -hmm. um, let's say I have a chart and I'm rechecking, I still probe full mouth. But I mm -hmm. think with time, because I'm so focused on perio versus general dentistry is very hard. I've always said it. It's you have to know everything about everything. You have to be an expert in perio, endo, ortho, peds. You have to know when to refer, what to do. It's very overwhelming versus perios. I'm focused on this one thing. So I do full mouth probing on every new patient and then annual checkup patients as well. The biggest thing that I learned in residency that made me feel so much better, our pre-doc perio faculty was so strict, so stern about every little number. We had this one instructor and he would come 
and kind of not yell at us, but a little bit. It's like, why'd you put a four, put a five, this is a five. And I'm like, oh my God, it's one number, does this matter? And then once I got into residency, we read, we spent like three or four months on all these things and the pressure is different between examiners, the probing force, the probes are different. Yeah. It's different in that same patient from day to day. And I thought, why was he, it's not like we're calibrating the faculty. I know we're not calibrated on faculty now. So it, you know, it does make a difference who's probing. So I know how I probe and I know I probe very lightly. So I I do it for myself. Um, For patients, I don't tell them the numbers because how are they supposed to know what What one millimeter? Yeah. Uh, some patients are very dental, dentally savvy and have a high dental IQ, especially in my area. I see a lot of physicians, a lot of pharma reps, a lot of um, like laboratory workers just in the area that I'm at. So yeah. I'll let them know that I'm checking for inflammation. That's mm-hmm. just the word that I use. I'm looking for inflammation. And then I try not to probe too heavy because they say, oh, that pokey thing. And so I don't want them to associate <laughs> me with pain you know i want them to have a good experience so i I know what i'm looking for but i'm also very very gentle okay so yes so do for being looking at recession looking at the gums i'm looking at mucogingival defects Mm -hmm. um a lot of clenchers especially now after covid the pandemic um so looking for those at fraction marks i'm looking for tori asking them if they have a night guard. I ask them if they sleep with the CPAP. I do a brief head and neck exam. Uh, I do the whole shipping, but very quickly. I know it sounds like it's a, a long process, but I've yeah. gotten in that flow of like, I do this, I do that, I do that. And got then, your routine, you know, yeah. I got my routine. Uh, what about the role of CBCT? I know you mentioned uh, that you have it available to you. Sort of how often would you order one or, you know, if you're not planning for implants and things in terms of your diagnostic process, how often would you rely on a CBCT for that? Uh, every single implant patient will get a CBCT. I was listening to one of the other podcasts that you did with the oral surgeon and um, you guys were talking about like GBR. And if you do it before a big bone graft procedure, sometimes I will, because if I want to know where the nerve is, if I want to estimate uh, even the amount of bone that I'm going to use. So sometimes I do take it pre-op for ortho cases too. So I can exactly measure where that tooth is that I need to go in and put the bracket on. Sometimes even for ortho extractions, if the tooth is, you know, way up into the sinus, I want to know sinus procedures. So we do do it pretty often. Yeah. Okay. So you've done your, you've done your assessment, you've done the health screening, you've done all that. Um, You've done your probing, you've looked at the radiographs. Uh, Tell me a little bit about sort of your Uh, diagnosis process and then also sort of how that plays into your management of how you how you decide the patient or how you consent the patient or inform the patient of what needs to be done okay so my let's say for example with like an osseous or a traditional perio patient Mm -hmm. um my general rule for my referrals my hygienist everybody if if let's say the patient's systemically healthy, they're in pretty good shape, there's not any contraindications. If the probings are deeper than six millimeters, I don't even recommend doing non-surgical or SRP unless 
there's heavy, heavy tartar. They haven't been to the dentist in a long time. And there's a benefit to doing SRP. I usually don't think there's a benefit just from a research standpoint too. We can't get the hygiene instruments beyond six millimeters. So, I mean, I don't know about in Australia, but in the States, SRPs are expensive. So the patient's going to waste all this money on an SRP and then you're going to do the probings. It's not going to improve. And then they go into a surgical phase for what, when I could have done, you know, from the start, the, Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of my, my hard rule. If it's beyond six millimeters, then it's coming to me, start to prepare the patient that it's, um, I call it a surgical deep cleaning. I, cause the patient's not going to know what osseous means. So yeah. if I say a surgical deep cleaning, and then I explain that I have to open a flap to physically see what's going on down there. And then, um, so that's for traditional perio. Uh, and then it helps to show them the x-rays too. I'll show them like, these are your teeth that you see. This is the bone that holds the tooth. This is where normal bone level is. And this is all the bone loss you have. So I need to do this and then try to preserve what we have. And then I explained relapse too, because I know a big question, at least from my friends that are general dentists here, how, um, effective is SRP? How successful is, uh, osseous surgery? Should I even do osseous surgery? Cause those perio patients tend to relapse and relapse. Um, so just letting them know you have to update us with your medication, update us with any life stress changes, changes in job changes in hormones, explain that everything affects their gums. And then they, they understand and they're motivated and they're passionate. And then that helps too with um, them going to recalls, kind of let them know you got to go to your three month cleanings. You can't do six, six months cleanings. And so, yeah, build it up from there. Uh, so in terms of uh, just going back to diagnosis a little bit, um, to talk through that, uh, you know, with the, with the newer sort of, uh, staging system or grading of the, the diagnosis, how did, is there like a decision tree of, okay, if it's regardless of if it's like pockets of this many millimeters and then there's a systemic factor, it'll fall into this category. So then I'll treat it differently. Or does everyone sort of in at the baseline go through just like a good deep cleaning, whether it's surgical or non-surgical um, and then sort of proceed from there? Um, okay. So with the new classification for perio, the idea behind it was to make it so that the public can relate to the classification system. So they specifically, with the old classification or the Armitage classification, kind of the, the backstory, the juicy story that I got in residency was that they stuck Armitage in a room at one of the AAP meetings and they're like, you need to come up with a classification. Yeah. And he was like, I don't know, I just came up with this thing. <laughs> so we kind of put a bunch of the key leaders together and they had several meetings. It took a few years to come up with the new classification. And then they took into account things, like you said, like systemic factors, because we know diabetes, heart disease, there's all these other systemic links between perio and heart disease, diabetes. Specifically, it talks about the A1C not being controlled. And then if the patient's a smoker, because that completely changes how you're going to heal, how your body responds um, to periotherapy. So they added that. And then they did it in staging because they wanted to relate it to like almost cancer, because Mm -hmm. if you know, if you have stage four cancer, it's not good. So they thought if we do it this way, then patients are going to know this isn't good if I'm in this category. I don't know if it works or not, um, yeah. but that was the idea behind it. 
yeah, it's so, interesting. Uh, the uh, <laughs> some of the the Max Fax uh, guys I was talking to uh, work, and they're, they're kind of making fun of it a little bit. Like they've made it so serious, like it's a cancer stage and stuff. And it's just, yeah. uh, but it's funny. I, but I do agree. I think uh, it's much easier for a patient to be like, oh, I have like they, they understand the grading system of ABC and then staging like one, two, three, four. Right. It's much easier than telling them, oh, you have you know generalized severe chronic. Like, it's like it's like a lot of words for them to kind of comprehend and. So I think it does, it does help on that patient education or understanding. Yeah. Uh, sort it's of a lot of words and the old classification too. I talk about it with my friends, like every single patient was generalized, moderate, localized, severe, yeah. generalized, <laughs> moderate, localized, severe. Even if you didn't know, and you're like, what is 30% just put generalized, moderate, localized, yeah. severe. And it was probably right. You know, and yeah. you can never move on versus like the new classification. Let's give an example of a patient who has two, three millimeters everywhere, but clinical attachment loss, lots of recession. They've had perio surgery before, but they show up to their maintenances with the old classification. They would have still had severe periodontal disease, even though yeah. clinically it doesn't make sense. So mm-hmm. versus with the new classification, they're considered a uh, reduced periodontium, but they're healthy. Yeah. yeah. Healthy, but reduced periodontium. All right. So, uh, you know, I, during dental school, we, we did a lot of like SRPs and stuff, and, but we never got much exposure to like surgical perio. Um, so tell me, I'm just interested. So how does that work? And so are you doing it like sort of one quadrant at a time, if it is like generalized or is it, if it's just like a localized, so it's like the, the lower right sort of, uh, I guess for you guys, the numbering is different, but like, uh, three, six, three, seven, which is like 22 or something for you guys, like, um, like tw- right. 27. So we like the canine, lower right canine. So I'll go back. So 24, maybe the bottom left molars. Yeah. Okay. So like 1918. Yeah. So say, so if it's say just those two that have defects and they're like frication involvement and things like that, um, what's like, uh, perio surgery to manage that? Like, can you just talk me through that procedure, what it would be? So say they have deep pockets, um, some bone loss, you can see it, a little bit of frication involvement, then the osseous surgery would be the treatment plan. And um, usually what you do is you open a flap and you look at different factors. You're looking at the tooth shape, the root trunk, say someone with a shorter root trunk, you can't uh, remove as much tissue as someone who had a really long root trunk. And that person who has a long root trunk, they can lose quite a bit of bone before it starts to get into the vacation. And then I tell patients when I start to worry, when I see bone loss in between the roots, because it's almost impossible to fit any instrument in there. So it's hard to clean in there. And then depending on the bone loss, you either do bone graft or some guided tissue regeneration with some membrane to try to regenerate a little bit of bone and then preserve what they have. Okay, so it's not just raising a flap just to visualize all the sort of cal- subgingival calculus and clean that off and then close the flap. So that that's not what you would classify. So if you're going to raise the flap, you're doing grafting and things after you've clean clean everything up. Usually, so like the kind of rule of thumb with periods, you're either doing resective surgery where you're opening the flap, cleaning everything up, and then closing the flap, or regenerative where you're trying to get some of that bone to grow back. Say if you have a horizontally flat bone loss, you're not Mm going to be able to grow it back to the CEJ. So in that case, you wouldn't do anything, but Mm -hmm. typically it doesn't, um, you know, people don't horizontally lose bone like that sometimes, but usually not. So if it was like, just like a generalized perio case with like seven uh, mil, eight mil pockets, you would just raise a flap just to clean everything and then close it up. 
if it was like horizontal bone loss and yeah. you know no bone graft needed then yeah open the flap you can clean it up the cool thing you probably can't do this in um australia and here in the states it kind of depends state by state but in mm -hmm. california and new mexico two of the states that i've like practiced in the most mm -hmm. The periodontist can open the flap and raise the flap, and then the dental hygienist can come in and do the oh, okay. SRP with flaps. So yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. Like it, it, it's really cool. It's my least favorite surgery to do. So yeah. like long term, that's a goal to get a hygienist well trained enough that's passionate about perio to be able to do that. And I think for them, it's very rewarding and fulfilling too because they can actually see see the tooth, see the roots rather than that tactile feel of SRP, yeah. you know? That's pretty, so then you do, and you just come back and close it up after they're done. Right, that's, yeah. That's pretty sweet. I love the, uh, the North American way, just like so different too. <laughs> um, I got, mm -hmm. when, I, when I first graduated, um, like I graduated in Australia, but then I went back to Canada for a year and I was working there. And it's just like you just get so spoiled. Like your your assistants like take the like radiographs for you. Like they'll like pulp test even. You just come in like they, they put the rubber dam on. You just like, and then here you come back and like you have to take your own X-ray. It's like, just like nothing. So it's just like so different how the the model is built. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I would die. I don't even think <laughs> I could know how to use the X-ray machine, the CBCT. Forget it. Like, I would die. <laughs> um, all right. So for the uh, just traditional classic. Um, so I guess it's in, in terms of uh, vocabulary, SRP versus SRD, is that any different? Or is that just sort of different wording? Maybe for Australia. So SRP would be scaling and root planing and then yeah, debridement. SRD would be debridement. Yeah. So from a like perio, like technical standpoint, the scaling is different from the root planing and the the thought behind it was way, way, way back in the day, um, like the old school perios, they used to think that cementum was also diseased and you had to remove the entire cementum and leave the roots like glassy smooth. So that's why it was scaling and root planing. So okay. removing all that tartar, all the noxious elements, but then also making the surfaces like glassy smooth. And then we found out later through research and, you know, different studies that not all cementum is disease cementum and we have no way of knowing what's disease and what's healthy cementum. So we don't do the, mm -hmm. the glassy smooth. So you might see some of those patients in your practice where you can see like the, the, the like tooth loss, the roots are very smooth and almost notched from all the SRPs that they've had. Yeah. So the, the proper vocabulary then is SRD. Is that right? There. Brainman? Uh, yeah. I've never heard that. This is my first okay. time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So SRP, it just means like just get deep clean pretty much. Okay. Um, so a patient that needs a full mouth um, SRP, do you, would you like, whether yourself or your hygiene does it, is that done sort of over two appointments and you just do like sort of uh, quadrant one and four and then two and three, or do you do full mouth at the same time? Um, and then we'll talk about antibiotics and stuff after that as well, or adjunct uh, treatments. Um, so it kind of depends if the, I've noticed like the dental hygienists don't like to do the full mouth in one appointment. They like to do the right side first and then the left side first, just because of time constraints and like what they can, you know, tolerate. And it's hard for hygiene because they're using their hands as repetitive motions all the time versus at least for us, it's, you know, different hand motions and a little bit different ergonomics. Um, so usually if it's a hygienist, they like to split it up in visits. 
I will sometimes still do SRPs myself. And then if the patient really wants everything done in one visit, they want to get it over with, then I'll tend to do it myself and I'll do the entire thing. But I tend to do it under IV sedation because it it is a longer procedure. So if I can do the sedation, let them get comfortable, I'm comfortable, we can take our time a little bit more. And then in those cases, uh, I do recommend giving antibiotics because some of the studies show that it can raise your temperature a little bit and you can get a little bit of that bacteremia from, you know, swallowing all that bacteria, all that we can only get so much with our saliva injector and stuff. Yeah. What's the, what's the sort of antibiotic that you recommend normally for that? Just amoxicillin. If the patient's not allergic, I want specifically. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. All right. So we've talked about the diagnosis. We talked about assessment treatment. Um, I guess let's talk a little bit more, just like, I guess, more advanced procedures of, uh, different grafting options. Uh, so I guess something that a general dentist would often see is, you know, these, you know, patients in their maybe, uh, forties, fifties, sixties, they come in with, uh, kind of like recession. So they're, you know, uh, the root surface is visible and they're often asking, sort of what are the options? So, um, obviously, you know, we can do it both ways. So just no, uh, in terms of when, what can be done as options so that dentists can tell their patients, even if they're not the ones carrying out the treatment, so they know they can um, have the option to refer this out if they need to um, as a starting point. And then also sort of what the actual treatment entails and how it kind of works. That'd be good to go through. Cool. Okay. So let's say a patient comes in, they have gum recession, they start to notice um, kind of what I do and what I recommend that general dentists will do once the patient's there. I'll take photos. I always, always have my camera with me or at least the intraoral camera from the office, mm-hmm. take a photo and then show the patient, this is your tooth. This is the enamel. And this is actually the root that's showing through. And there should be bone covering the root. And then your gum should be covering the root. Mm-hmm. And then I explain, um, kind of two patients that we have two types of gum tissues in our mouth. We have tissue that has a lot of keratin, like the palm of our hands. And that's what withstands all the pressure from brushing, eating, chewing, talking, flossing. And then we have a more delicate tissue, like the top of our hands. And then I show them the mucosa, like the inside of your lip. Mm -hmm. And that one's weaker. Think about grabbing something with the top of your hand. It would be painful. So I explain that we need volume and lots of collagen and then we need lots of keratin and then those words are what patients seem to understand so i think if doctors and general dentists explain it to them like that then it would make sense yeah um okay so i i have that chat with them and they're interested like okay doc what are the options what can i do Uh, well how would you like reply to that i tell them to stay off the internet (laughs) (laughs) um No, I honestly, I definitely do recommend for them to see off the internet because then a lot of them will start to Google and then they open up these chats and people say, oh, I've had gum grafting, it hurts so bad. And so I don't want them to have that, um, you know, that misconception that it has to be painful. And so for it's depending on the tooth that's affected because different teeth in the mouth respond different ways. So all the maxillary teeth are generally a little bit easier to get coverage let's say if it's just buccal um, recession and the interproximal tissue and papillas are still intact, like minimal gum recession versus somebody who has generalized horizontal bone loss, then in that case, we can't make them go back to baseline. So the sooner we can get the patient in to get the procedure, the better the results. Um, 
So for the maxilla, just depending on how many teeth, if it's localized one tooth then autogenous is a good option. Mm -hmm. If it's the entire maxilla and say for us, the numbers will be three through 14, then sometimes I'll recommend like a dermis or a collagen matrix option if they want that, because Mm -hmm. then they have to get the entire palette grafted if they want to do everything in one visit. And then for me, in my hands, it's, um, I get better results if I do everything in one visit versus mm-hmm. like one side and then the other side, because yeah. you can pull the flap. Um, at least I can, if I'm doing everything versus just one spot and then another spot, but yeah. some people still want autogenous. Um, obviously that's a gold standard, your own tissues, the best tissue, you can get the best results with that. Um, you can still get what we call creeping attachment. So say I can't cover the entire root all the way. Um, even if I get a little bit close, then with time, if you're brushing correctly, you're brushing properly, sometimes the tissue will bounce back a little bit. So, okay. um, mm-hmm. and then I tell patients that in the mandible, I usually split it up into sextants, at least like the anterior teeth and then the posteriors. Mm-hmm. I'm not, uh, there yet with my skill level, at least to do the entire mandible in one visit. And then in the mandible, I usually always recommend doing autogenous tissue. So just kind of explaining to them that there's different options you're going to get online. You can find that there's collagen, there's human, uh, cadaver tissue, dermis, like an alloderm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then your own tissue, which is the best tissue. And then of course there's different techniques to do soft tissue grafting. So yeah. Um, thankfully I was lucky enough when I was in residency that I got trained and I went to Dallas. I took the like Pat Allen alloderm class. I did like the pinhole training. So, um, Loma Linda was very good about teaching us tunneling. They taught us flaps, like everything you can think of. We learned it. So I just let them know, like, this is what I can do. This is what works in my hand. This is my recommendation. And then leave it up to them to decide what type of tissue they want to use. Yeah. Why is it that, is it uh, just related to like blood supply uh, that the mixel is better than the mandible or what, or is it more like the clusal forces on it and what causes the mixel to be more predictable than the mandible? I think probably a little bit of occlusal forces. I think if you think about it, the mandible has a little bit of flex to it. And then on the mandible, we tend to have more muscle pull. So kind of gravity, I guess, working against you a little bit, the tongues down there, yeah. you know, that gets curious. So it's definitely tough. It's yeah. a tough area. And what are the, I guess, the success rates or like predictability of these grafting techniques? Okay, so that's depending on the interproximal bone level. So um, there's different classifications, either like a Cairo classification or a Miller classification. But the commonality is that they're all looking at the interproximal bone loss. Mm -hmm. The more interproximal bone loss they have, the less predictable the coverage is going to be. So someone who you already have those black triangles, it's going to be almost impossible to make it go back to normal, you know? Yeah. Okay. So I guess that's important to know from the, from our perspective too, um, even if we're the ones referring God to be able to identify at least uh, at a baseline level, okay, this is sort of something that can be done predictably or not. Obviously it'll come to you or, or the perio and they'll be able to tell them more accurately, but I think that's a good, good sort of thing to have in the back of your uh, mind as the well. The sooner the better. It's one of those things. And patients will ask you, how long can I wait? You know? Yeah. So And then sometimes I tell the patients to, you want to look at overall their 
phenotype and the translucency and the color of the tissues too. Mm -hmm. Sometimes there's young females and they have very thin translucent tissue, very like square shaped teeth, very Mm -hmm. beautiful long teeth, but you can see all the root prominences. They've had ortho. So Mm -hmm. I kind of let them know like, you know, like I had a patient not too long ago and it was just a little bit of gum recession, but I could see all the roots. They said, eventually we're going to have to do some type of phenotype conversion where we augment and thicken the tissue. So even though they don't have that recession, they're still, you know, at greater risk for getting the recession, losing their teeth. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Be more proactive about it. Mm -hmm. Um, one, I guess, situation that, uh, I guess it kind of depends where you work and stuff like that too. Like I'll, I'll see a lot of patients serve in some of the areas that I work are a little bit more sort of maybe uh, lower socioeconomic is they'll come in, they haven't been to the dentist in, you know, 10, 15 years. And they're like in their mid forties now. Um, and just real severe perio, right? Like every, you know, all the teeth are rectification involvement. There's like the lower anterior is all like mobile. Uh, but they're like, well, I'm not in pain. Like, why would I, and I'm eating and functioning. Okay. Why would I like, consider a clearance, for example, or like taking teeth out and replacing it and things how, like, how does that discussion go? Or how, what's the rationale for people to just leave it until it has to come out or is like infections and things or pain and symptoms, uh, dictate it, or how do you have that discussion of, okay, this might be a difficult choice to make, but it might be time to consider like, um, extraction of these terminal teeth and replacement options and things. I'm exhausted thinking about the conversation. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I have practiced in different places where I practice now is very different than when I was before, but I have had patients like that. Um, It's, it's very frustrating and it's almost saddening because it doesn't hurt. It's a chronic disease. So it's not going to hurt unless it's an acute infection, Mm -hmm. something got stuck in there, or it's a perio lesion. And some patients, honestly, they don't care. They're going to wait until it's hurting and it needs to come out and it's like a tooth by tooth situation Mm -hmm. um and then some patients are surprised they get emotional because they haven't been in pain so they didn't go to the dentist maybe they were putting their kids first their braces first and so it's really really hard because then you're diving into the patient's psychology and what happened but trying to explain to them the rationale behind why it's not going to hurt because it's this slow progressing disease. And then it kind of goes back to that cancer comparison. Usually you're not going to know that you had cancer. It was found because of something else. And then by the time you find it, it's too late. Right. Mm -hmm. So I hate to compare it to that, but I think it goes back to that diagnosis classification change. Yeah, that's a hard, uh, I've, you know, like it is very sort of area dependent because like it just some people, some of those access and finances and things because yeah. they'll, they'll come in and be like, oh, this one tooth is sore. And then you're like, we got to take everything or like it's, and then they're like surprised by that too. It's a, it's a bit of a hard discussion to have for sure. Yeah, that happened to me. Um, like one of the first cases out of residency and they went in for one tooth and I took a PA, but we ended up taking a full FMX and you can see the abscess on that canine tooth, which is a crucial essential tooth. Mm-hmm. And just everything was generalized, chronic, severe perio. And I'm like, this is like an all on four case or a denture case, but yeah. I can't see anything. And the patient was upset because they came in for this one area, but I'm looking at everything and I explained, I took my time. I said, you know, this is a chronic disease. This is what's going to happen. This relates to your diabetes, all these other systemic issues. And then they were like, okay, I understand. 
but I'm going on vacation. So maybe next year I'll come back and get this done. I'm like, okay. And then for me too, I worry about the liability because if you're diagnosing this and a patient's walking around with this chronic infection, you know, if something happens, Ludwig's angina, you know, you just never know. It, It definitely makes me weary. Yeah, it's tough. I guess, I mean, our, our job is just to inform them, right? Ultimately, it's their choice on how they proceed with it. But um, it, it is it is a tough situation, I think, to to have to face um, at any stage of the career. Okay, so I mean, that's been that's been pretty, pretty useful. We've gone through sort of a lot there in terms of um, what you do to assess sort of the diagnosis process, um, treatment. Uh, just one more thing on treatment before we uh, kind of transition is, so in terms of your recall maintenance, so the patients come in and they've got uh, sort of, you know, f- four to five mil pockets. So you do your, um, your yourself or your hygiene does the, uh, the clean, is it sort of a three month thing until they stabilize and then you prolong it? Or what's your sort of like normal protocol for that? Um, definitely a case by case basis, but I tend to recommend three to four month maintenances for most patients. I think it's rare that you should do maintenances every six months. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's a huge misconception because of insurances only covering it every six months. So that's why just the general public thinks that they should get cleanings every six months. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, with the area that I'm in now, most patients are pretty accepting of the treatment and the tightening of the maintenance schedule. Mm -hmm. The way that I explain it is that once you've had periodontal disease or a perio infection, you're more likely to get a relapse. If we change medications, your stress changes in jobs, you move your ability to cope with stress changes, any little thing like that, you're just more sensitive because your body's ready to fight. So I kind of liken it to an autoimmune disease. Yeah, I say it's not quite like an autoimmune disease, but it's your body trying to fight off that plaque. So as soon as it senses something, it's going to be ready to fight that infection again. So I need to see you every three months or they alternate with the dentist. It just depends on where I'm at, where I send them to for, you know, the maintenances. But I, most patients, I think, need to be on a tighter schedule. Some of the perio studies, they were seeing patients like every two weeks to maintain them. So even some patients that like, say, yoga instructors or their heavy workouts and they lift a lot and they build up calculus really quickly, even those patients I'll recommend that they come in. Oh, is that a link? I didn't know that. Well, in my mind, the, <laughs> if you're like having a lot of protein, those patients tend to build up calculus on those really? lower um, central. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. In my mind. <laughs> it's anecdotal, but it works. Yeah. That's like my, my, my famous anecdotal one that I have is like patients who have like lingual tori and stuff. It's like yeah. notoriously hard to take teeth out on them for some reason. Like there's like the bone density or I don't know if it's like yeah. they're all like or if it's like a, a function of bruxism that they've developed the tori or, or what, what it is. But that's like my one that I'm always in my head. I'm like if I see it, I'm like, oh, it's going to be hard exo, like no matter what. In my mind, yeah. <laughs> it makes sense. It's a funny story between the tori thing. So it's um, one of like the famous perio guys. There's like a few older um, periodontists that are all Swedish and yeah. they started like dental implants. So one of them was my chair when I was a resident and he brought over a friend to lecture, um, Steven Renberg, who's like super, super famous in our world. Mm-hmm. And he says, no, we know that tori was caused from bruxism, but we had no way of doing the study. Mm-hmm. So in my mind, I'm like, Oh no, you're bruxing or you're clenching, but there's no study that shows it. Okay. So it's just, so, so there is some, some sort of, uh, yeah. <laughs> acceptance of that. <laughs> All right. So That's the juicy perio gossip. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the latest and greatest. All right. Yeah. Um, 
one other like kind of nerdy question I have is um yeah just in my own like regular life I'm like really big on sort of you know like health and longevity and all that kind of stuff. Uh, is there much in the pipeline in terms of maybe uh, early picking up of like chronic disease like with biomarkers or like in the saliva or um, the types of bacteria in the periodontium or something that is being worked on or um, is available that people are like can use in terms of diagnosing maybe diabetes early on or like other health like heart problems and stuff early on is there any anything like that sort of developing or any um, thing like that available yeah so there's definitely companies that are starting i actually have a good friend um he's a general dentist here his name's dr rob his office is like a big referral for us and they do do the biologic testing the saliva markers to check the different bacteria um so i think we're getting there i don't know if we're quite there yet but i think that's the new way that's coming in because we definitely know it's the red complex right we know it's certain bacteria and then the good versus bad and when it topples over to more bad bacteria but then the component that i think we're lacking is our own autoimmune response or our immune response and how we're responding to that bacteria so they started there's different uh models in perio like the random burst theory so say i had perio we're kind of under control and then 20 30 years later we get it again something happens we get it again most people are on that continuous slope where you just kind of slowly go and go and go and it's just growing. And then the more rapid type on someone who's younger and they just get it out of nowhere. There's not really a correlation to all the tartar and the calculus. They yeah. just have full blown bone loss all the way to the apex. So figuring out that genetic link and what's going on in our individual response, I think that's the next step in perio. But yeah, there's definitely the, they're starting to, but I don't think yeah. we're there yet it's in the pipelines no it's really cool i think that's one of the you know i've always sort of um liked perio a lot because of that sort of systemic uh, factor and componentry to it which is pretty cool like um if like you know your periodontal health can affect your diabetes and vice versa and heart disease and stuff right. like that. um i always find that really interesting and they'll give uh my friend dr rob they'll give the patient like a report card of all the bacteria that they tested and so the patient brings it to me so then i already have the heads up on like what's going on you know yeah it's it's very interesting like you said some people respond well some people don't some people just don't respond to period treatment at all but i think that's why that workup the initial consult asking about their family history that tends to build the overall like big big picture the girls laugh at me too at work, the, our assistants, because they're like, you're so fast. It really doesn't take me a long time to do the exam, but it's mm-hmm. like, they say that I scan the patient up and down because <laughs> they have a patient like, did you have skin cancer? I see a scar here. And um, I had another patient that had, they were referred for something else, but I'm pretty sure they have an autoimmune disease going on. We'll mm-hmm. see what the biopsy says, but yeah. it's, it, I don't know. Prayer is just so interesting. All the systemic links. It's, yeah. I love it, obviously, but yeah. <laughs> and the last thing I'll ask is, uh, it's always, it's always interesting and fun to speak to like young specialists because they're just starting out. And, and one is, you know, they're just, you know, in terms of the academic side of things, that's really recent in your head because you've just gone through all the literature and stuff in your training. And uh, what are your, I guess, uh, thoughts or, insight into sort of like the future of perio say in the next like 20 years like what's going to change what's going to advance uh what are we going to do differently that we're going to look back on like i can't believe we did that (laughs) uh where do you see some of that kind of stuff huh i would have never even thought about this um 
I don't know. I think I know some people feel like, oh, perio is a dying specialty, but people used to say that about endo. And so I just, I've never felt that. I think perio always adapts. Like, you know, it was periodontists that started doing dental implants. We started the classification. We used to think to put implants where there's good bone. Now we're learning about soft tissue around implants, which has been really neat. Um, different types of implant coatings have changed the way I practice. Digital dentistry, I I love digital dentistry. So that might be like the, the future. Yeah. Um, at the school, like some of the residents have the XNAV. So to see them putting in the implant in real life time on the 3D scan has been oh, like wow. really, really cool. So I think once we fine tune digital dentistry, that might be the, the future, like guided digital you know, if you can, it's one thing to have the scan, but if you can look at the scan while you're placing an implant, like that's, that's really cool. What's that? So is, that is that called XNAV? Is that what it's called? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. I know that. So you get live sort of feedback. Yeah, yeah. While you're placing the implant, I'll that's send you pictures cool. of them. Yeah. It'd be cool. I'll, uh, I'll add in the show notes for people who are sort of interested. Yeah. Awesome. So Thanks. For, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was really good. That was like a really good sort of uh, catch up on perio um, to see what's available, what's possible uh, in terms of treatment, diagnosis, uh, sort of things going forward. Uh, anything else that I didn't ask you that you think would be useful for someone who's interested in perio to know in terms of um, any stages really that we talked about? Do it. Um, I just do it. Like I I hate when I see people that are like, oh, I want to do it, but I have this, but this, and like all the buts. If you feel like you want to do it, then just do it, apply and go for it. You know, I, I think because I'm such a perio nerd, people just assume I was like top of my class, super smart, super go-getter. And like, I was just trying to survive. I was like anybody else. Demo school was hard. Like I said, you have to know everything about everything. And to be an expert on everything in dentistry, it's so hard. You get so in your head. And But I really liked this one thing. So I think if you're passionate about something and you feel that calling to do something, then just take the leap and go for it. Like what's the worst that's going to happen? They tell you, no, okay, fine. Try again, you know? Yeah. No, that's like, awesome. Yeah, I know. Um, I'd like to see more girls in perio, more females, more women in like the perio. Um, yeah. You know, it's been interesting having like social media. I, patients will come to me from social media. And I had one patient and she said, I want to know who my doctor is. I want to know you. I don't want to go into some old guy's office and like, hey, I'm here to do your dental work. And so I thought that was so interesting, but I'd love to see more females in dentistry too. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think, I think that's sort of a natural progression. That's going to ha- like with, with the, the cohort of dental students. Anyways, I think it's um, I think in my year and most years that I see it's if not 50, 50, it's more females than men actually. So I think that's kind of um, shifting and I'm sure that'll trickle down into all the specialties as well. I hope so. I have 10 residents and they're all boys. <laughs> yeah. I'll have to, I don't, I think we got, I mean, we are, and endo, we got a lot of females at sort of Melbourne Dental School, um, ortho as well. Um, perio, I think it is more men than, I don't know why that is, but um, it seems to be the, the other specialties are drawing more females at the moment. Oral yeah. surgery, uh, interestingly, is getting more and more females coming through as well, which is pretty cool because that's been like pretty traditionally that. sort of male dominant sort of specialty. So I, my prodigy, I lost her to oral <laughs> surgery. But I mean, I, I'm happy to have, you know, more females in the, 
in the field period, but yeah, yeah I lost her OS. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, I, I mean, there's a lot of parallels between, I mean, I think Perio is quite surgical in itself, right? So that's why I'm, I'm really interested in Perio as well in terms of if I was going to specialize, um, I think that's probably what I would do in terms of the work. Because I think it's like a cleaner surgery in a way. Um, like MaxVax is, especially just like oral surgery, it's pretty like macro, just big flap, take it out as quick as possible, atraumatic right. as possibly. But Perio is more sort of like finesse a little bit. So I like that side of this. It's like more finesse surgery. Just Yeah, up, it's, so. it's planned. I liked... Um, at least that Loma Linda was a lot easier to shadow in the oral surgery department. And I went to school with a few of them, so I could just pop in. They were very laid back, so I could pop in very easy. Um, but with Perio, it was like, like you said, very clean, very planned, very organized. Um, pre-dental students will ask like, did you think about oral surgery? The only reason and like my rationale as to why no and never and you know, I love those guys and ladies and I love what they do, but the trauma, I could not deal with like the gunshot wounds, yeah. the big flaps, like the blood. I don't even like blood on my instruments. Like I want them wiped immediately. So it's, you know, like my hat's off to them, but the, the trauma side, that's like the, the big, big, big difference. Yeah. And I guess that's a big component of the training process. Maybe once you're finished training and you're in private, like you don't get much of that. Mm -hmm. Um, but definitely you got to go through it during the training process. So that makes sense. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for, thanks for coming on. It was great to, to chat with you and, um, to have the opportunity to sort of ask you questions and, uh, about Perio. Um, I'll put a link to your, uh, Instagram page for anyone interested that can reach out to you. Hopefully and you can uh, help them out. Um, apart from that, if you can send me the information on XNAP, that'd be pretty cool to check it out. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of the Newbie Dentist Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe and head over to iTunes and give the show a five-star rating. For all show notes and to access all previous episodes, head over to www.newbiedentist.com. Have a great day.